Thank you for joining us at MindSpeak, the show that delves into global issues with a local perspective. This is a voice, not an echo. If you can't speak your mind, you can't be human. Hi, folks. This is Mark Anthony Rossi, and this is the first episode of MindSpeak. It's going to be a branch off a series from uh, the uh, Strength to Be Human Productions. All right. I'm, I'm your host, Mark Anthony Rossi. A little bit about uh, me, uh, especially to new people to the show. I mean, I'll have some listeners from the other show that I'm sure are going to migrate over, and thank you. But we'll have a lot of new folks as, as well. So if we're doing things that are going to be more global, uh, global uh, affairs and, and global arts. All right, I'm someone that served at the United States Air Force uh, uh, in in the intelligence uh, division. I uh, traveled around 32 countries around the world, and I've written extensively uh, about various uh, foreign and and political affairs, uh, particularly uh, lately uh, Russia, China, Iran, the the usual players in the world that that seem to have an issue with getting along with with folks. So that's a that's a little bit about me. Of course, I'm also a writer. And this show is really going to be more about, I guess you could say, the affairs of the world and some of the issues that we're dealing with as as a people. I mean, I, I'm I'm hesitant to say that it's always going to be from an American perspective because even though I am an American, and even though I do review things as American, I'm also someone that's traveled a great deal around the world, so I know how to look outside of America on many issues, particularly since a lot of the places we'll talk about are places I've actually been to. And, and I don't mean as a tourist visit, I mean like actually living there. So I, I actually have some uh, some insight that I can still look as an outsider, but at the same point, look at some of the issues a little bit more objectively. Uh, more objectively rather than being resident there, but also more objectively rather than just being American and, and going on a two-day cruise or a four-day tour or something. You only get so much out of that side of a visit. I mean, I'm talking about more expensive things. So now this show here is going to be uh, leaving Afghanistan. Okay. And that's what we're going to talk about over here. Uh, I wanted to first play you uh, some of the music from that country. Whenever it's possible, I like to do that because uh, it, it really kind of sets the mood. And I really think oftentimes, you know, it's beautiful and classic and maybe even timeless. Here we go. And uh, a man is playing some sort of a flute-like instrument. I can't tell you the exact type. It's amazing how many instruments that we use in the West and in the East uh, folks want to be using it in a different capacity, even a different uh, shape or, or, or form. But it sounds, uh, the woodwind, it sounds in many instances the same. It's just that it's in their, um, their idea of music and in their tone and in their culture. I bring that up and I bring that particular piece up because 
before the American intervention in Afghanistan, which happened just after uh, 9-11, here when we were attacked by uh, terrorists that were mostly uh, either from there or coordinated from there in Afghanistan, um, the Taliban, the the, the terrorists that that look to take over the country and are looking to do the same thing again as we speak 20 years later, um, they got rid of music. They didn't really believe in it, and oftentimes they imprisoned musicians or even killed them. This shows you how out of joint they are with the rest of the world. Because, I mean, killing a musician because he plays a flute? Ridiculous. I I don't care by any standard. Ridiculous. So, but you'll find uh, many uh, countries where they had regimes that have gone to the excessive end of things, the arts is usually one of the first things they target. They kill the journalists, and they shoot the writers, and they imprison the musicians. Oh, my God, we can't have the dancers because they're dancing, and that's going to make everybody excited. Lord. But that's what happens. Now, again, we're calling the show Leaving Afghanistan, but I want to talk about some of the beginnings of Afghanistan to sort of kind of give you an idea of where it's been. And, and where it's pretty much going now. So this way, it's always better to look to the past before you go to the to the present. And I, and I think a lot of people who are listening might not even realize some of these things. And, and you'd be very surprised by a lot of them, I think. All right. Okay. Now, Afghanistan is, is very, very complicated, unlike other countries, because... It has a numerous amounts of various cultural groups, and it's fair to call them tribes because that's what they call themselves anyway. But they're distinctive culturally, not just because they live in a region, they're also because they have their own language and their own cultural traditions. So it makes them unique in that way. There's about like 15 different ones in Afghanistan alone. Uh, The first, I guess you could say uh, four, of the more popular ones because they have the most in terms of numbers. Okay, so you got the Pashtuns. They're up to 42%. They're mostly in the northern part of the country. Then you got the Tajiks at 27%. You got the Hazari, which is 9%. And you have the Uzbeks, which are also 9%. That's not all that is in their country, but I would say that those are the four main groups that have a bigger say in what goes on in the country because of their numbers and also because of their influence. You know what I mean? If you think about it, if your your particular tribe, your particular culture has forty two percent of the entire population of the country, well, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna have some say in some things. You're also gonna have, uh, I guess, you can say a lot of influence over a lot of things that goes on, whether it may be the military, or the government, etc. So, and I would say also that if you want to get involved in either uniting or taking over the place, however you want to call that. Uh, you're going to probably need the Pashtuns to help you in some regard because you, you wouldn't want them against you. That's a lot of people. I mean, that's almost half the whole country is one tribe. Now, Afghanistan is very unique in, in the sense that it reminds me in many ways of Australia, that it seems like it's on an island of, of its own, even though it's not an island, it's a landlocked country. But still, I mean, we have recorded uh, history here of people living there over 50,000 years ago. So somebody has always been in Afghanistan doing something. And apparently throughout history, somebody's always tried to take it over, which is was kind of ironic, actually. Now, one of the first people 
and and he was only so successful, and he stopped at one point. He took over the Cabal regional area, the valley, and that was Alexander the Great. He actually wound up marrying somebody from that area, and he kind of kept it stable. But he didn't go farther than that. He didn't try to take over the whole country. But even even him, uh, a great military leader, um, wound up facing all kinds of attacks from other tribes and other people. So he had to deal with a lot of that because Afghanistan's are not exactly people that want uh, uh, some kind of intervention from the outside. And we'll talk about why they some seem to have a problem with it with an intervention from the inside because that's what the Taliban is for the most part. But we'll talk about that. Now, after Alexander the Great left, okay, uh, the country started getting more influenced by the Buddhists and also by uh, people who, who practice uh, Hinduism. Although Buddhism was, was, pretty, was pretty popular in Afghanistan uh, up to like 9,000 years ago. Um, in, in fact, if you recall... And if you don't recall, I'll, I'll let you know. One of the horrible things that the Taliban did the first time they were there and they took over was they spent a lot of time putting dynamite on Buddhist statues that were built into the mountains. These things were priceless art, priceless, and blown them up because they felt they were a dialogy according to their version of Islam. It's it's a it's amazing that it, that can even be done. They destroyed all kinds of antiquities. And that wasn't the only place they did it too. And, and um, I know um, Al Qaeda, and then later on ISIS did some of the same things in Iraq. They destroyed uh, ancient monasteries and all kinds of, of art that were not considered Islamic. They did some of that in Syria as well. Things that can never be replaced. You, you, if you hear about it. You look on a photo, maybe on the internet, because they just totally destroyed it. So these groups are quite similar in believing that uh, they have the only ideas about religion, the only ways to live, and anything that's outside of that is evil. So either you're getting your head cut off, you're getting multiply raped and becoming a slave, or they're destroying all traces of anything other than themselves. And that's what happened in, in a great deal. It's one of many reasons why groups like that need to be stopped, because to destroy artwork makes no sense at all. It really, it really makes no sense. Having some Buddhist statue on the mountain doesn't change anything. And I'm not making fun of Buddhism. It's just the truth. And I'm a person of faith. It still doesn't change anything. You can be down on the ground practicing Islam. It doesn't matter if there's a Buddhist thing up there. Oh, well. No big deal. Same thing with other religions. So it never made any sense, and it never, and it never will. Now, around the 7th century which is about, I would say, about like 2,000 years after after the, the Buddhists and the Hindu was there, Islam was introduced, and it became like the main religion in, in Afghanistan to this day. Not that there's not people there that protected something different, but, you know, God forbid if they do, because there's always somebody there ready to, uh, you know, shout them down or kill them. Uh, that's unfortunate. Now, this is known, but we'll go into some more details. Okay, they uh, they finally became a you know a, a, re a republic, but the government fell apart and, and many things were in disarray. And this is going to be the trend throughout the show, and it's because it's a trend throughout Afghanistan. One of the reasons why it has become for everybody, uh, the Greeks 
the Russians, who we'll talk about here shortly, and then the Americans uh, on controlling it, taming it, democratizing it, communistic, whatever you want to call those various systems that people try to thrust upon it. It never worked. And it didn't work because ultimately, and, and, and I wish the, the Americans would have discovered this, but I don't know why the Russians ever noticed it either. It's, the perfect example is Vietnam. You cannot win a war without the people on your side. It doesn't matter what you say you do. They even said that in Vietnam, they used to have to say, we have to win their hearts and minds. Yeah, that sounds all great, but you never did that. That's why we, we, we had to leave. No reason. It's no different than Afghanistan. I don't know why the Russians didn't, didn't realize that, because the French before them in Vietnam had to learn that hard lesson. You'd think they would have learned it from the French. No. Then you think the Russians, who were still involved in Vietnam in terms of supplying weapons and giving information out, they didn't learn it from the Americans. So they went over to Afghanistan doing the same silly thing. Now, Afghanistan is not like Vietnam in the sense that it has a much larger population and it doesn't have the same, I would say, almost homogeneous uh, type of uh, population that Vietnam has. Everybody in Vietnam was pretty much Vietnamese. Oh, yeah, sure, you had some people with some colonial traditions from the French. You still had some Vietnamese, even to today, that still speak French. But in the, in the, in the most part, they're all racially Vietnamese. They all speak the Vietnamese. And I don't know why, but for some reason, uh, we never learned it. The Russians never learned it. The French never learned it, that they wasn't interested in the, in the intervention. There wasn't interest in being united with the North. In fact, in many instances, they were so interested in being just finally a united country without other forces involved in there that, you know, they wound up siding with the North. I mean, do you think the Southern Vietnamese really sat down at the house and said, uh, yeah, man, I think we need to become communists? No, but they felt that that was the best direction for them because that was the best way they could be united. And that's what happens. It's not like Korea where... The reason why uh, Americans were successful in Korea, some some historians say not because the country was divided, but I, I say we were successful there, and many people see that, because we were on the side of the South that wanted to stay free, that wanted to be, remain where it's at. They'd love to be able to see the North join them. Maybe one day that will happen in the future. But they knew that wasn't going to happen without a fight. And if they couldn't win, and they couldn't because the Chinese wound up involved themselves in it, and we couldn't win that, that northern part, but we did win the southern part. And why did we do that? Because they wanted us to. And to this day, democratic nation, placed constantly under threat of war, great military, I've been there twice, interesting people, love the culture, love the food, by the way. Korean food is great, especially at Korean barbecue. And check that out. But that's the reason why. Afghanistan is not like any of these countries. Both of those countries, like I said, was pretty much the same racial group. And for the most part, Vietnamese didn't want us there. The Koreans did. Well, at least, at least the southern ones anyway. Afghanistan has proven to be extremely complicated. You know, I don't, I don't mean to make any predictions for the future about Afghanistan, so I'm not going to. But I will say this. From what we've learned through history, you can reasonably say that you know, uh, Afghanistan might never be a united country. It might always be divided. You cannot rule it from Kabul, which is the capital, and think you're going to succeed when you have all these tribes that are not interested in that. I mean, how many deals do you think you can cut? 
Russians couldn't do it by intimidation. They they used the place as a battleground for experimentations on their military equipment. A lot of people don't realize that the, the hind Russian helicopter, which is pretty much a flying tank that shot rockets and machine gun and killed all kinds of people over there, was invented and tested there in Afghanistan so they could be used that way. And it was used in a ruthless fashion. Still didn't win the war, especially since the Americans, through the through the uh, the people who were resisting the Russians, uh, are still formerly called the Mujahideen. They used our Stinger rockets, which were extremely effective. You could knock that kind of helicopter down with, with your common RPG. And you certainly would be able to knock it down, even with the, with the gunfire from a tank. In fact, unless somehow you could figure out how to shoot a tank shell into it, you were never going to knock it down. Never. But our Stinger missiles, they did that successfully. It changed the war. Changed it to the point where the Heinz wouldn't even be flying very anymore because they were afraid of being shot down. Not like putting a weapon in the hands of somebody that barely can, can read or write and they can knock down, which was considered one of the, the big superpowers at the time, Russia, Soviet Russia, anyway. And they did a lot of evil things in that country, unfortunately. They uh, they created um, all kinds of uh, uh, public, public governments. They tried to bribe the, the people. They tried to poison the people. They tried to destroy their crops by shooting fire. From the helicopters to burn uh, poppy fields, to burn corn fields, to burn any kind of food fields, they were they did some of the most heinous things with children in sense of they actually had toys with explosives in them so that you could blow up kids. Mines everywhere. When the Russians left, it, it took almost ten years to get the mines out of that country. I hear to this day you still find a couple. That's how many they laid down in there. The and I'm not saying that this field was invented because of what the Russians were doing to children in Afghanistan, but the field of pediatric replacing of limbs, that literally had a boom because there were various people around the world that, that did these things that they wouldn't have created arms and legs for children because you had to send so many over there because so many were damaged and mutated and killed because of toys. Imagine that. I mean, it's one thing recklessly lying, laying in mines all over the damn place and then kids run into the field. They don't know any better because they're playing and get blown up. Horrible, of course. But people who are putting those down, especially military people, they're not meaning to harm anybody other than who they consider the enemy. But literally had Russians inventing toys with bombs in it because the only purpose they can be is to demoralize the people by killing and blowing up their children. That's literally what they did. All of that unsuccessful. And many things came out of that particular uh, uh, war uh, with uh, with Soviet Union taking over Afghanistan and, and continuing to fight throughout the country. And one of the main things that they came out of is that many people who, who worked with and, and, and fought with the Mujahideen, they wanted to become terrorists themselves in different aspects. Osama bin Laden was a perfect example of that. He came over there from Saudi Arabia. He thought it was an important fight to defend Islam against, you know, godless communists, which is actually his term. And he literally fought in there, became a hero, used a lot of his money, used a lot of American money and American weapons. Unfortunately, we never really took him seriously that he believed that everybody was godless, except for the people that believed the way he believed. 
And it wasn't even just traditional Islam. Remember, these terrorist groups, they don't practice their traditional religion. It's been, it's been warped and it's been changed to become something evil and violent. It's not something you're going to find in the Quran. You're not going to find this, this kind of stuff. You know, blowing up children in, in buses and stuff. It's not going to be there. So we never took him seriously. So I'm sure we were really shocked later on when we find out that this, this guy's literally uh, tried to attack the uh, World Trade Center years before they, they successfully did that. And, and it's ironic because the two times they, they attacked the, uh, the World Trade Center, I wasn't even there. So I always found that ironic, you know? And in fact, and in, in, in one time I was in California working, and the other time I was in Arizona when it happened, the second time. So I was never in New York and New Jersey when these things happened. But the, the Trade Center was directly across the river from where I lived at in New Jersey. It's something I saw every night. And sometimes they would take my telescope and you could see people still working. Because, you know, it was a business office. That's what those buildings were. So you could take it and you can actually see people still working in, in late into the night doing things. I always liked doing that. It was kind of fun. My mother thought I was looking for other things in, in those windows, but it's a business thing. Come on now. <laughs> Moms, they're funny. But we didn't take him serious. He was serious. And that's where he got a lot of his ideas and his battle training. He met lots of people that later on when he formed his organization called The Base, or in Arabic, uh, you know, Al-Qaeda. That's where he got it from. Battling the hardened warriors that went out there and, and fought, uh, you know, a, a, a great superpower, the Russia, and, and eventually beat them, of course, with some of our help and that help of the Pakistanis, who are greatly involved to this day in the affairs of Pakistan. Unfortunately, too much so. Their, uh, their intelligence, which we learn later on, and it makes sense now, uh, is very separate from the government because, uh, ironically, the government has always been, I guess you could say, Islam-like. Mostly military dictators and stuff like that. There were no, no atheist people, no people that didn't believe in Islam, but they didn't practice it in any kind of serious fashion. Just enough, I guess, to get across their political message. Where their intelligence services, ISI, they were very religious. In fact, in many instances, they shared a lot of the beliefs of Al-Qaeda. So it shouldn't be surprised. Again, we knew this in advance. I don't understand how so many countries can make so many mistakes. Well, I guess you could say that the, the enemies, or even just the naysayers of America or Russia or other people, just say, you know, we're superpowers and we're arrogant, and that's what happens, and then we get what we deserve, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I say something different. I say that, and I don't deny that any superpower can have a, a sense of, of arrogance or grandeur. I'm sure that can happen. So to say it can't is, is simply not very practical or realistic. But I don't think that's at the heart of it. I think the heart of it is, is that you get blind. You just think that the things you're doing are going to work. You know? I mean, the Russians thought the same way. Damn, if they're going to just hang out and agree with us that we can make the country more modern and, and blah, 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 and this and that. No, they don't want you there. You don't even believe in God. Why would they want you there? Unfortunately, we come in after the terrorists attack us, 
And we're like, we do believe in God. You, you should think we're cool. Uh, no. Uh, the Taliban, uh, their religious beliefs and practices, again, pretty close to um, Al-Qaeda. I mean, they wound up sheltering them and hiding them, helping them, supplying them. And, of course, Bin Laden's presence and his money, I'm sure, helped them in some aspects, too. Now, there was a man by the name of uh, uh, Masoud, and he was a leader uh, of an organization up in the north called the Northern Alliance. And one of the few of, of the real charismatic type leaders in Afghanistan that managed to get a number of groups together to fight on the same side, to fight with him, to fight against these people, because he was able to, to convince them that you know their, their presence there was a real danger to the country. You can't have a, a, a real country with, uh, you know, a group just wanting to destroy everything. Didn't want contact with the modern world. Didn't even like modern equipment. Didn't care much for modern medicine. It's one thing, and Masoud said this pretty clearly, to believe that women can be permitted to do everything in society as men can do. Even he believed to a certain extent that, you know, there had to be some containment to it. As a Westerner, I have a different feeling about that, but fine. But he wasn't to the extreme of you got to cover up everything and you got to, like, listen to everybody. You can't have education and you're always bowing your head and all you are is a slave. He was against all that kind of nonsense. I mean, he had a family himself. He thought that was definitely non-productive for his country. He didn't think that they could walk into any kind of a modern world. And the way he presented the modern world to the many of the groups that he was able to persuade on his side in the Northern Alliance was simply this. He said, Lip, we need to have an idea of what's going on outside our country. We need to have contacts. We can use some of those machinery. We can use some of that medicine. We can use some of the ideas to make our country better and richer and stronger. But it doesn't mean that we need to throw away our traditions. It's not like we're exchanging one for another. That's always been a fear. In Afghanistan, or even countries that are similar to it, where people had felt, well, yeah, I'd be curious of learning what's outside, but I don't want to change my ways for thousands of years to do that. It's fair. It's a fair comment to make. But it's also a fear that if you allow the fester, it's going to be exploited. For a long time, that's what the Taliban was talking about. We're going back to the old, yeah, yeah the older, right, like 10,000 years ago old, but... Uh, we're, you know, we're, we're upholding traditions. We're listening to the Quran. We're doing this. We're doing that. Some of that is true. I don't care who you are. You could be in the Nazi regime during Hitler's time, or you could be in Afghanistan. Just because these people were evil doesn't mean they didn't have a couple of truthful things to say. They always do. It's the rest of the stuff you got to be worried about. And that was a problem with the, with the Taliban. So the next thing you know, I mean, they're literally rounding up people. Oh, I don't like the way you looked at me. I don't like the way you said this about the, the great prophet Muhammad. I don't like the way you looked at that woman. I don't like the way you said this and that. They're rounding you up in the, in the soccer stadium and cutting your head off. Playing with your head, uh, polo from horses. Usually your head is a soccer ball or a polo ball. This is what they went to. Raping women who are even married. Oh, it's an okay thing, you know. We're spreading our love. That's, that's beautiful. Rape is love. Okay, so this is how they've gone into the farther end of things and became an evil force. And he tried to his best to put that together, and he was starting to become successful. It is not an irony 
but rather part of bin Laden's master plan. The first thing he did before he attacked America, he attacked Afghanistan. And a lot of people forget this. On September 9th, two days before 9-11, bin Laden sent in two people in there. Two of his suicide workers who had vests on with bombs in them, pretending they were journalists. Hey, can we have an interview with you, Mr. Mossad? Yeah, sure, come on. Bam! Assassinate him. Blow him up with his whole party. Even some of his family members. That puts the Northern Alliance in disarray. Now you've got groups wondering what's going on. In fact, I'm sure in many instances, that's, that's the kind of division that Bin Laden wanted to do because that's how you divide people really quickly and start gaining some ground. Because you remember, you got groups that now, they don't know what to do. And they're out in the open because you just declared yourself working with Mossad. What are you going to do then? Hmm? Oh, yeah, I was with him and now he's dead. I'm going to be with you. No one's going to trust you. No one's going to believe you. So now the leaders of those groups are in danger. And then the, the land are in danger. And then people, you know, shot and killed and everything. So they had to deal with all of that. Then, of course, you know, we have two days later, Bin Laden, using the coordination of Afghanistan and most of the terrorists that did these plane attacks, the three plane attacks against my country, uh, were mostly Saudi Arabian citizens. For a long time, that until the investigation was over with after the whole attack, and you know, we had a formal investigation about it, it was it was some belief that somehow Saudi Arabia knew about this and it was involved in this, but that not proven to be the case. Bin Laden simply recruited men like this that he knew he was. Uh, in case anyone hasn't forgotten, he was worth at the time he did all this one quarter of a billion dollars. He inherited a lot of money from his father, who was a billionaire a construction person, and he wound up for a while doing that job as well. He had an enormous amount of money. He didn't have to become a terrorist. This is sort of what he wanted to do. This is the kind of power and control he thought he can have by doing this. This is why he did this, unfortunately. He didn't have to. Now, Bin Laden had a point about Saudi Arabia, and in many ways he had a point about Afghanistan to a certain extent. That, especially in Saudi Arabia, hey, you know, this is supposed to be my holy land. This has two of the three holy sites uh, for Islam. Why are we going to have uh, Americans here? Why are we going to have other forces here? Why are we doing this, etc., etc.? He could have went a different direction. It wasn't an invalid thing to say or even to feel upset about it. It was actually a pretty common thing amongst many Saudi Arabians. He could have spent his money trying to persuade the royal family. He could have spent his money running ads, newspaper ads, stories, commercials, all things. He could have done all of that. As long as he wasn't outright just, you know, trying to ridicule the people running the country, but saying, listen, do we really need them here? But that he decided not to do that. I mean, the Saudis would have told him, yeah, we do need them here. We have enemies and people who would love to take this place over. They take this place over, guess what? They now have the two holy sites of the three of the sites of, of Islam. Because, you know, Mecca and Medina, they're right in, in Saudi Arabia. Jerusalem is the third one. But hey, he's never going to interest in considering that, even though his enemy would be Iran. His enemy would have been uh, Syria. His enemy would have been a lot of these countries that are still the enemies of Saudi Arabia. But, nope. 
that just shows you the kind of choices that people make. And then in his particular case, well, all the money he had, all the education he had, all the influence he had, all the experience he had, he decided to do this open-mindedly. That's what he did. This is what my choice is. This is what I'm going to do. He didn't have to, but he did. He felt the same way about Afghanistan to a certain extent. Although, the argument there in Afghanistan would not be the same as the one in Saudi Arabia. At least, it had some real currency in Saudi Arabia. In, in Afghanistan, it didn't. There was no military bases there in Afghanistan when he decided to coordinate and attack us. The Russians left. They left. We boycotted the Olympics in America because we're mad about what they were doing. I intervened that way. Four years later, they were gone. They were defeated. They lost thousands in the war. The veterans were, were, were bitter. They lost all kinds of equipment. Some some actually joined the Mujahideen, Russian POWs that wind up becoming Islam people. Some even fought against the Russians. I mean, it's a total mess. And of course, Kabul fell not too long afterwards. And it would come, it just became a, a giant wild, wild west in, in Afghanistan of all the tribes working against each other and doing the usual stuff that they normally do, unfortunately. It's a very complex place. Nobody has been able to unite it. And we would have stayed out of it if it wasn't for the fact that uh, Bin Laden uh, used the place as a launching pad against us. And of course, you know, when you do something like that, and you kill thousands of people, I think, between the Pentagon and the, the World Trade Center. I mean, that's like almost 4,000 people right there, you know. The entire daycare center full of babies at the World Trade Center, totally incinerated. Babies gone. People gone. Remember, it wasn't just Americans in that building. There was like 50 different nationalities, all dead. Thank God we were able to save a lot of people, but we lost a great deal as well. But that brought us back into into the war front again. We had, we didn't spend that much time doing uh, what we needed to do in Iraq to keep it becoming a, a, an aggressive country. And unfortunately, we had to go back there again. But we are going to Afghanistan first because we wanted to go after these people. and And that we did. Our problem... America, as it was with Russia, and even, although Alexander the Great seemed to have learned something compared to, I don't know, again, we don't learn from the history, we should, should listen to what he was doing. He didn't learn anything from the Russians, apparently, because we're Americans, uh, yeah, I believe we could do it better. Uh, we're more committed because our reasons for being there are legitimate, unlike the Russians. Um, we, we're not invaders, uh, we're guests trying to find the bad guys. That's what we called ourselves. Then later on, allies. We're allies. Yeah. And then, of course, well, we believe in God. So, I mean, we're not, you know, godless communists like they were. But unfortunately, that's the problem. And I don't really think, like I said before, it's it's a question of arrogance. I think it's a question of blindness. We just think all these cool reasons I just gave you somehow shields the fact that that's still a very divided country. That's still a country with all kinds of languages, all kinds of cultures. Don't always agree with each other. Don't look kindly throughout the history, oral and written and otherwise there, that says that people who come over there are always up to no good. That's what their history tells them. No, we're going to come over there, you know, with uh, 
with our iPads <laughs> and, and, and our, our meals ready to eat and, and some Milky Way bars, and it's all going to be cool because we're not like all those other invaders. We're a different invader. <laughs> That's the problem, and we wind up staying way too long. Believes too many of the players involved in there, particularly Afghanistan, which has been a very bad player. In the end, uh, the ISI, their intelligence services, was literally hiding the lottery from us, right under our noses. Sure, we found him later on and, and, and killed him, as he should have been killed. He's a, a war criminal. But why didn't we look earlier? Why did we spend so much time in Afghanistan? 20 years, folks, 20 years. 19 years, too long. And I'm a veteran, so I'm not saying this as something's wrong with the soldiers that went over there and served. They did their part. They did what was necessary. They did what a, a nation has asked them to do, and I love them all. But we didn't need to be there that long. We didn't need to spend so many lives and so much money and still get nothing. We have nothing to return. We're, we're, we've been out of there now about three weeks. And the Taliban is already, already ravaging through a quarter of the country already. Just in a couple weeks. Doing the same nonsense that they've done before. Cutting off heads. Oh, yeah, you, you're a traitor uh, to, uh, uh, to Afghanistan. Which is weird because I don't even believe in Afghanistan. I'm just a Taliban terrorist. You're a traitor to the country I don't believe in. Because you help the Americans with language translation, I'm going to cut your head off. This is the kind of nonsense thinking that you, that you have to deal with with people like this. You can't just kick them out of the country and say, I don't want you to be here. I don't trust you anymore. You have to actually kill him. And you got to cut his head off right in front of his family. That's just wonderful. They grabbed some special forces that were against them from Afghanistan, killed them all. 23 of them, I believe. So they're already back to the same stuff that they've done before. In fact, it's so it's so identical to the behavior before that it's obvious they have never changed. They're not interested in changing. And all they're ever going to be in that country are bad actors, dangerous people, evil individuals that for some reason believe these things. Now, you could say, because I've said it already, and I'll say it again on the show, why do all of these different players in Afghanistan, all these different tribes we were talking about, why do they even let them do anything? Well, I can tell you, a lot of them are not letting them do anything. They're fighting back, but it won't matter in the end. The central government over there has never been strong. It's been extremely difficult to make any kind of national army because you have to draw from all these different tribes. Somehow you got to get all these people to do the same thing and learn all kinds of new different things. They all speak five, six, seven, eight different languages. This is not India, which has 22 languages, but they use English, a colonial language, sure, and Hindi, something they created, to naturally at least get everybody united and on the same page. They'll use it in the government, the postal service, and the military. They use it in, in the colleges. This way, at least that way, allows them to unite themselves in the country and, and communicate and get things across. Afghanistan doesn't have that. There is no one single language at all. It's never been colonized long for anyone to speak anything. So there's no French speakers on a regular basis there, or Russian, or English, or anybody else. They're just the individual languages from those particular tribes. 
Hi, I speak Passion. How you doing there? I speak Tajik. How you doing there? I speak Uzbek. How you doing there? I'm a Hazrari person. I mean, this is how it works. So that's what the national government of any government, whether they're invaders or not, had tried to deal with and can never be successful on. Then, of course, you have all those people, and there was plenty of them, that would infiltrate the army because they were terrorists, people that were, that were trained and, and bought and sold to do things to disrupt stuff, to mess with morale. How many times on, on the Air Force base over there, people would just be blowing themselves up? Let's the army guy in there. Yeah, come on. What's going on? Thanks for supporting us. They blow you up. Happens so many times. So many of our soldiers have been killed just by the Afghan military people because, you know, they're recruiting people in there. They only have so much you can do. It's not like they have some computer national base. Hey, um, I don't think we can trust this guy. He, he's, he's a terrorist, you know. Nobody knows. They say the right words. They do some stuff for a while. Next thing you know, they have access, and they're killing people. They've machine gun people in their sleep at the barracks. They blow things up at the Air Force base. They throw themselves uh, with with bombs on vehicles, in a vehicle with other soldiers. I mean, countless times. It's just a horrendous thing. But those are the the problems and the, and the things that you would have to tackle there. And it, it's just, it's not really solvable because everybody would have to get together to try to run that country. And how do you do that? It would be so complicated to do. It hasn't been successful. Because if you think about it, even if everybody decides to try to get along, how do they do that on a practical basis when literally you're now in the Hall of Assembly in, in the Afghan capital of Kabul and you're speaking a different language from the 10 other people from the different tribes? That's your first problem. Your second problem, how do you stay culturally connected to your lands? Because Afghanistan is gigantic. If you ever look on the map, you could be going to Kabul and it could take like five days to get to your, to your village. And that's what modern transportation. I mean, really, like a day of traveling on a plane. And the weather's not always the greatest in Afghanistan. So sometimes even flying is not a good idea. That's literally what, what happens on a practical basis. How do you stay who you're supposed to be? How do you communicate with other people who don't speak your language, who don't always agree, who have different tangents on religion, on culture, on customs, on clothing? It's just, it's, I wouldn't say it's endless, but it's extremely complicated. It's the, the heart of why Afghanistan is the way it is to this day. It's the heart of why nobody wins there. Because they win. But I don't know if they really win or not because they haven't gotten anything. They have this new enemy now, the Taliban, you know, who's been there like 30-something years. And for some reason, they can't seem to resist them. I don't know if there'll be another Northern Alliance in the future. I don't even know if anyone even cares about helping Afghanistan anymore. The Taliban won't even take humanitarian aid. So I, I don't even know how they, they plan on running the country in any fashion at all. I mean, it'll be the usual brutal dictatorship stuff. And they're, you know, their guys will be in every different area. You know, some of them from that same group, the, you know, the, but more dedicated to the Taliban than they would be to their own group. You know, squealing on them, narking on them, informing on them. Probably killing lots of people. Maybe that's how they'll be able to control you know, the food supply and, and birth control and all that stuff. Just murdering people would probably be some of their temporary solutions. But 
Is, is that really a, a real government? Is that really a real country? Is that just a complete failed state? You can't even listen to beautiful music like we started the show out with? No, that's that's evil. We can't listen to that. It might lead to dancing. Oh, my God. Ridiculous. But that's where we're at right now. We got a, a country right now that not even in 60 days. I, I mean, I, I'd say before Halloween of this year, it'll be completely in Taliban hands. Unfortunately, year after year after year, I don't know why, I don't know how blind we are in America over here. It's not like we haven't known this. I've been saying this for five years. Listen, they can't stand up on their own. Not because there's not brave people there. Not because there's not people who believe that they should have a central government. They should be more united. And they should be able to interact with the world. And they shouldn't have to be such a basket case. This is not enough of them. They need too much cooperation from all those various groups I was telling you about. And that's just not going to happen. And in many instances, the Taliban is going to find the same thing out. They found it out before, and they'll find it out again. I don't know if they're defeatable at all, of, of how brutal they are. But what I do know is that one of their successes is that they speak these languages. They're from these places. So they use that to their advantage. They're not some outside American that has to have somebody speak to everybody, some translator, like the Russians had to do. The Greeks had to do what we had to do. No, they do it themselves. It's part of their success. How long that lasts before people get tired of their brutality? I don't know. Because it was still going on when we were there. We put everything we had into it. Our army, our marines, our air force, our special forces, our drones, our, our, our tanks, our airplanes, our space satellites, our navy. Ever you could think of. And still came up with nothing. But just dead Americans. Dead allies from other countries as well. Probably none will ever go back there. And it's sad because it, it is. In many aspects. A haunting country. But a, a, a quite beautiful one. And these are not people. And I've met a number of those tribes. Men. They're not people that are full of. Hate or full of derision, or full of anti-foreign sentiment. They're really not. Just not interested in you coming over there and telling them what to do. I can't blame them for that. I'm sorry to say, uh, as an American, as a veteran, we were there 19 years too long. Once we figured out we couldn't find the lot anymore, and we to try to destroy as much of the assets he had over there as possible. That, that, that's it. We should have left. We had no other business to be there. But unfortunately, we keep doing this this neoconservative theory that, that, that's not even played out, but it, it, it's shown to be silly and false that we can nation build someplace. You know, that if we can build a couple of hospitals and a couple of schools, you know, 20,000 years of people's culture, that, that's just all going to run away. And then we're all going to, everybody's going to be playing video games and, and, and smoking cigarettes. Uh, no, it doesn't work that way. And I don't care how much we believe in, uh, in America and freedom. And I'm one of those that do. And I'm one of those that have had to fight overseas. So I'm not talking out of my uh, my hat over here. 
we, we, we shouldn't believe that somehow we can export our ideas or even our ideals. This is not to say that freedom is not important, that we shouldn't try to help people that have come to believe in it or who want it. Maybe we give them some assistance, but, you know, that, that should come in the form of, of guns, money, food, medicine. That's it. Not our troops, not us being there. It, it, it never seems to work out very well for us. And unfortunately, we, we continually have this habit. I'm hoping we finally learn something from that. You know, uh, I'm like a lot of people in the military. I hate the fact that we had to leave under these circumstances. But what can else can, can America do? We spent a trillion dollars there. Thousands of our soldiers have been killed, maimed. All that equipment is still left there. We didn't bring too much of it back. Probably Taliban will be using it next week. Hey, thanks for the tank, guys. But we did nothing because we can never, ever get that place together. We can never get them to even form enough of a of a government or a, or a military uh, type of service that, that can really combat anything. It constantly needed our, our help. And, and quite frankly, if we stayed there, it wouldn't have changed. If, if, if President Biden right now says, let's stay there two more years, I changed my mind. It'll be the same nonsense again. Attacking the Taliban, getting suicide attacks, blah, blah, blah. Constantly training a, a force that never seems to be able to get the job done. Two years later, we'll be leaving in the same stuff we'll be talking about. This, unfortunately, this is how bad it is. That meant that whatever we've done there has never had the impact because we're not wanted. And it's not really a bad thing to not be wanted in these circumstances. We don't belong. Quite frankly, in my opinion, nobody belongs in Afghanistan but the tribes that live there. A lot of these Taliban don't even come from there, ethically. You get a lot of Taliban that come from Saudi Arabia and from other countries, Algeria, Morocco, a lot of people that went over there to become part of Taliban. So you get a lot of people there that don't even belong there. They don't belong there either. They should be left to try to figure out for themselves what kind of life they want? What, kind of, what do they want out of things? Because, quite frankly, I don't have any right to judge them about what kind of life they want. That's what people should be able to decide for themselves. Hey, we don't want a big uh, we are the world type of situation over here. We'd rather just do our things and be happy, and that's that. I'm sorry to say, uh, if the Taliban would be uh, gone tomorrow, then the country wouldn't be any more united. It might be safer, sure. But it's not going to be any more united. It's probably going to stay that way because that's what they want. And it would be nice if somebody actually, you know, took, took the hint, if not the history of thousands of years of them saying that you're not welcome, you're not wanted. It doesn't mean they hate anybody. It's just not what they want. Maybe that country one day might actually have something like that. Something of the the barest forms of, of being of able, able to operate. But I just don't know how that could ever really be possible. I, I have lots of ideas. I don't see how any of them can work. The distance, the language, the culture, even a revolving government, 
all right, three tribes will run this government for two years, and then the next three tribes will come in and run this. What would that even do? As they're spending two years on figuring out a way to settle scores and, and shoot people and get mad or push their products or ideas more than the other ones, that's all it'll be. You either have the markings of a of another type of civil war, or you just have an endless revolving corruption of, okay, let's wait for the other two tribes to come in and they can get to do their crazy thing for two years. See? Any ideas you have doesn't make a lot of sense. It just wouldn't work. It takes it would take so much of them wanting to see the country as one entity. And that's the problem with Afghanistan and the people that live there. They don't see it as one big country like we see it on the map. They see it as one little section of the country where their people are from versus the other section where these other people come from. Yeah, that's the Uzbeks. I don't like them. <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. They see it in division. And guess what? If that's all you see is division, and that's all you participate in is division, that's all you feel comfortable with division, well, you're never going to have national unity when everything is divided. And it's not divided uh, by accident. It's not divided by some of the old-fashioned Western ideas. Well, Mark, they really just haven't got a chance to understand each other. Yeah, okay. Let's let's do some uh, Kumbaya uh, YMCA uh, meeting, okay, with some bread and, and, and some orange juice, and we'll, we'll figure out why for 10,000 years uh, they don't get along. They'll tell you why. You don't need to figure out anything. You don't need the orange juice, and you don't need the bread. You just need to shut up and leave them alone. We don't get along with those folks because this, that, and that. Don't like what they do. Don't like the language. Don't like blah, blah, blah when we had an encounter with them 4,000 years ago. I mean, this is this is how you'd have people talk. There isn't a lot of cooperation. Now, don't get me wrong. Taliban there or not, it's not like they're in open warfare with each other on a regular basis either. Ironically, they're not. They're just not interested in cooperation. And this is some of the problems that Western people have. They want to see everything on, on the polar opposites. Well, Mark, if they're not interested in cooperation, they must be warlike. Uh, no. I, I live in a neighborhood where I'm not always interested in cooperating with my neighbors. I don't hate them. I'm just not interested in listening to boring talk and doing silly things. I, I'd rather take out my kids and go play some baseball. I'd rather sit home and write or maybe watch a, you know, some kind of a geographical show that I, I like to check out now and then. That doesn't make me hateful. It doesn't make me prejudiced. It doesn't make me warlike. It doesn't mean I'm plotting to kill them. I'm not interested. That's how a lot of those tribes are. Not interested. Don't care. Want to do their own thing. Who Who's to say that that's a bad thing? It's just what they want. Yeah? That's what they should have. And I don't really think they should have anybody interfering in that. You know? Whether the world was ever going to completely understand or appreciate the cultures that are there and what's going on, I don't know. It doesn't matter to them. They're not so interested. You understand? It's not like a chorus industry over there. Come see the blown-up Buddhist statues of Taliban did. This is where they cut that guy's head off in the stadium. Check that out. All right, let's go have a sandwich now. They don't have anything like that. There is no tourism there. Probably never going to be. They just want to do their own thing 
in their own way and not be bothered. I wish we'd gotten a lot a long time ago and just let them be. Right now, they're going to have to face the uh, the Taliban. And according to President Biden, the only time America is ever going to really interact or intervene on a temporary basis is if it looks like they're forming terrorist things against us. Otherwise, we're not really going to be even dealing with it anymore. So, they're on their own. Last very long, unfortunately, before we have to deal with these Taliban people again, but that's what we have right now, and it'll it'll be here shortly. Not not too many more months left. All right, folks, that is uh, our first episode of Mind Speak. I really hope that you've enjoyed it. Kind of learned something uh, about Afghanistan, some of the issues that's going on right now. You can check out the news stories. Uh, I'm not really keeping score about. Wow, Mark, you're really prophetic over this because there's no prophecy here. This is common sense. Government won't stand. Most of them will be executed if they haven't figured out how to escape already. People are going to be enslaved and murdered and raped. And the Taliban is going to run everything. It's not a question of how is that going to happen. It's just a question of when it's going to happen. I give you to October. Maybe sooner. Maybe a little bit later. Depending on weather and you know, and how much the Afghan army can, can hold out before it's completely destroyed. That's what we're looking at here. I hope you enjoyed that. We're going to be doing a number of shows into the uh, near future over here. We're making this a, a greater aspect of the Strength of the Human production. So we're going to be doing global affairs about other countries. I want to talk about Poland. I like to talk about some of the things that happened in, in Bosnia. I like to talk about countries like France. I like to talk about some concepts that are going on, the concepts of anti-Semitism and the concepts of, of Zionism even. Uh, those are interesting concepts. I, I, I definitely like to talk about some more global arts too. I like to try to get a hold of that girl that does the, the Tide uh, Line Arts there where she uh, finds all the, the different old objects when the water recedes in the Thames in London and, and makes um, jewelry out of them and sells them and, and, and uh helps various literacy literacy projects. Uh, I like to uh, talk to some people that do sculpture and, and ballet and things like that. You know, I, I really like to do that. So I'm going to be seeking out more people to try to broaden things and talk about different things as well. Things that I'm interested in and quite frankly, things that I can even learn something about. It'd be interesting. I, I really do. I mean, just I love literary. We're going to be still doing our literary shows. Love writers, love writing. But I definitely wanted to spend more time going into the future doing many other topics as well. I hope you will continue to join me as we, as we do these things. And I'd like to definitely hear with you email, see what you thought about this show, maybe see about what other shows you might think that we can actually uh, look into. All right, folks, until next time, God bless. Thank you. This is MindSpeak, your host, Mark Anthony Rossi. Take care. Thank you for listening. Follow the show and support our efforts by visiting our sponsors at www.strengthtobehuman.com or purchasing an ebook at www.somapublishing.com.